You know, when I was a kid growing up, and for those who don't know, I'm 57, so we're talking 1964, 3, 2, a zillion years ago, it seems like. One of the things that used to happen was that um, we had fire prevention week. They still do it, I think. They still do. But a fireman would come to our school, and they would hand out little fireman badges, and then little red plastic helmets and some literature on how to prevent fires uh, in those days, you know. And I, I remember so well, even, I mean, it's like, like yesterday, as a seven- or eight-year-old kid, trading, trying to get more badges because somehow, some way, that badge was so important because it represented a hero to me. And something all, most guys at one time in our life, we aspired to be that fireman, that hero, that, that first responder that you saw on the screen. And then you get older and you kind of lose that, but you still have this, this respect for these firemen, for these policemen, for these endless guys, for all these different people who go in when other people are rushing out. One of my favorite people here at Dorsville is a guy named Dave Valentine. And Dave was a fire chief. I think he was in, in Peoria. I'm not sure. But he was a fire chief. And if you've noticed, Dave limps. And the reason he limps was because at least twice he fell uh, during an emergency and, and gravely injured himself. And that's why you'll see him with a limp today. And, uh, you know, I, I like Dave for another reason, too, is because he told me a little bit about firehouse life. And, and one of the things he told me about was food. And, you know, food plays a very important part of my life. And one of the things that Dave, almost every pastor appreciation time, which is in October, him, him. Um, anyway, anyway, it's October, it's, he invites the staff or gives us firehouse pizza. And, and it's, just a, it, it's a recipe they brought home from the firehouse, and it's big, and it's very, very unhealthy. And, and the firemen would have different times that they would cook, and when Dave's night came to cook, he would often cook firehouse pizza. We also have firehouse sloppy joes um, during Bible school, one of the favorite things that we like there. So those are things, you know, the fire engines, all those are things. We're drawn to that as guys and girls today wanting to be that first responder. But, you know, our video today showed the reality of that. It's not all about firehouse pizza, is it? It's not all about even the camaraderie and the brotherhood that these guys share there in the firehouse. The reality is that being a first responder is very, very costly and very, very risky. And you know, God has called us in His kingdom to be first responders. It is, it is us that He has put on the front line to be the proclaimer of His name. To go into a very risky world, a costly world, and, and help pull others, as Jude says, from the fire, from the fire, telling them that all is not lost, that all is not hopeless, that there's hope in this world, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. We are the first responders. Now, imagine with me. Imagine you're in a firehouse, and you're in the lower Manhattan area. And imagine you're the fire chief. It's, it's, it's September the 10th, 2001. It's about 7 o'clock in the evening, and something's bothering you. You know, you just got one of those gut feelings, you know, like a premonition. And so, so what you do is, the guys are down fishing up supper, and you go into the kitchen, and you say, hey, go get everybody and bring them in here for a minute. And then as the fire chief, 
You put them all in the kitchen. He goes, guys, you know, we, we serve together. We think alike. We work together. We, we, we have a relationship, a camaraderie that's so strong. And guys, I can explain it. But I've just got to feel it. I've just got to feel it. Now, I just want to tell you this. That no matter what happens, I want you to know we're brothers. And no matter what happens, we work together, we live together, and we die together. And even in the macho firehouse, he makes it something like this. And guys, we love each other. Now go back 2,100 years. And now we're in an upper room. And we're 14 to 15 hours away from the crucifixion. And it's not a fire chief. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't have a premonition. He knows that in just a few hours, he is going to die with the most horrific and horrible deaths that one can imagine. And he shares in our scripture today, in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, he shares some of his final thoughts about the coming events. And like that fire chief, we want to assure them that we work together, we live together, we die together, that we love one another no matter what happens. So Jesus now calls his boys together, his disciples, and says, Guys, come. I want to share with you some final thoughts because I know what's about to happen. So take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, and let's look at, through the eyes of Jesus, some of the final words that he says to his disciples. We'll use the firehouse illustration as our point. First off, look, we have firehouse protocol. Firehouse protocol. Now, in verse number 9 and 10 of John chapter 15, I do not have adequate words today to try to preach or describe what Jesus Christ himself says. Here's what he says. As the Father has loved me. Now, just grab there. We have Father and we have me, the Son. As God the Father has loved his Son, Jesus says, I have also loved you. And please understand, he's speaking to, to 12 guys, okay, 11 guys, 12 guys. He's talking to a very small group, but he is speaking 2,100 years later, speaking to us and saying, I want you to know something, church. As the Father loves me, I love you. Now, that's magnificent. That's incredible. I can't, I don't know if you wrestle with words or not, but I do know this, if we can somehow get our arms around that and begin to understand that, there is such hope and strength in that. Because he is stating a fact. He's not stating a, a hopeful maybe thing. He's not saying a performance thing. If you do this, I'll do that. He's simply saying this. As my Father loves me, I want you to know something, guys. I love you. And no matter where you are in your life right now, he is shouting to you and he is saying, I want you to know something. As my Father loves me, hey, recent widow, I love you. Recent di di person diagnosed with cancer, I love you. Person, dad, dad, you just got the pink slip and you do not know how you're going to pay the bills and feed your family, I love you. Hey, parent with a son in Afghanistan under fire, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then he says something, he says, remain in that love. 
The King James Version, New King James, and King James says, abide in that love. I, I did a little study on the Greek word, and it does mean abide. It means so to dwell. It means to continue. It means to live in my love. In other words, in the world that you live in, experience my love. And today, in your world and on your calendar, it might well be September 11th, but it's 8 o'clock in the morning. That day was incredibly beautiful. It was a crystal clear morning. Fall, the nip of fall was in the air. Things were going well. It promised to be an incredibly beautiful day. And that might be where you are right now. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus. He still says, As the Father has loved me, I love you. And, and at 8 o'clock in the morning, when things are incredibly great, just live in my love. Just, just rest in the fact that no matter what, I love you. For some of you, it's 8.46. 8.46 was the moment that the first plane hit the first tower. Suddenly your world went from perfect to what seemed like disaster. A simple phone call from the doctor. A, a phone call from the state police. A text message from a friend. And your world literally came to a screeching halt. What Jesus would say to you today if you were standing here and what He is saying from His Word is, as the Father has loved me, I love you. Rest, abide, live in that love. For some of you, it goes a step further as 902. And incredibly, what seemed like some kind of a freak accident becomes an act of war as a second plane plunges into the towers. And people, and you've heard the, you've heard the video, you've seen it on television. The incredible horror of that day. And right now you are living in incredible horror. Because what you thought could not get any worse, all of a sudden got a lot worse. And what Jesus would say to you today is, as my Father loves me, I love you. Live in that love. Maybe perhaps for you it goes just a little bit further and it goes to 959. When what they thought no one but thought could happen, happened, and the first tower failed. Or maybe it's 1026, and the second tower has fallen. Whatever it is, you need to hear today, and you need to believe today, that as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Live in that love. Would you put that photograph back up, Ronnie? Many have seen this picture. Someone said, is that, is that a doctored picture? It's not. This piece of steel was pulled from ground zero. They actually have a picture of the crane lifting it up out of the rubble. And it was erected at ground zero. It reminds us that whether it's, whether it's 8 o'clock in the morning or 8.46 or 9.02, whether the first tower's fallen or the second tower's fallen, in the midst of your ground zero, that the anchor of your hope is what happened here. The anchor 
of your hope is Jesus Christ. The anchor of your hope is that God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The anchor of your hope is that in this crazy, chaotic world that makes absolutely no sense, that as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Live in that love. We all anchor our lives to someone. We all anchor our lives somewhere. Sometimes we try to anchor our lives to our, our money. We try to anchor our lives to our prestige. We try to anchor our lives to, to who we are and the titles we bear. But there is only one anchor that will hold steadfast in the storms and the ground zeros of life. And it is the anchor of the cross. So brothers and sisters, as the smoke clears in your life, as the smoke clears in your circumstances, or whether the sun is shining brightly, keep your eyes on the cross. Because it is there that Jesus shouts to the megaphone of love, that as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Live in the midst of that love. And then incredibly, because that's kind of like all mystical, incredibly he gives us how to do that. Here's what he says. In verse 10 he says, So, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. And then he goes further, and I thought this was really incredible, just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. What is so cool is that the word keep there means to guard. As if something valuable. When you have something that's extremely valuable, you guard it somehow. You have a safe deposit box. You have a place hidden. You've got your money stashed under the mattress. But you found some way to guard that which is valuable. And Jesus says, if you will hold my commands as valuable, then you'll remain in my love. And then he says, in fact, do you want to know how I remained in my Father's love? Jesus speaking. I did it by same word. He says, just as I have kept, just as I have guarded, just as I have kept secure my Father's commands and remained in His love. Jesus said, the secret to my relationship with my Father is in keeping, guarding what He has said. I value what He says. And Jesus says, the secret to remain in my love for you is to value, is to keep what he said. Unintentionally. Does this not tie in what you've heard the last six weeks? That application is everything? That when Jesus says, keep, it's not like a rule book, it's like living, it's like applying his commands. Now let me tell you what the problem is. We have flat believed a lie, Bill. We have bought the, the idea that God's commands are grievous. We bought the idea that this old black book, whether yours is a thin style like mine or three inches deep, that this book is a bunch of do's and don'ts and it's designed to make me miserable. And who do you think started that lie? Satan. Jesus says over in John chapter 6, verse 60, and this occurs, and well, I'll let it introduce itself. Jesus says something pretty hard. 
Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Talking about heaven. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Say, flesh profits nothing. Our efforts profits nothing. Well, listen to this. He goes further. The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. That is why Jesus said in John 15, that is why he said, if you want to remain, if you want to live in my love, if you want to anchor your life in this cross, then you'll do it by understanding that the words I've given you are here to sustain you. They're here to help you. They're here to enable you to sustain the nine 11s of your life. As the Father has loved me, I love you. Now remain in that love. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just like I've kept my Father's commandments and remain. And then he gives us this transition into what I call firehouse loyalty. Look what he says in verse number 11. I have spoken these things. What? What proceeds? I have spoken these things to you so that my joy, say my joy, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He says, guys, in the midst of 9-11, in the midst of your ground zero, it is possible to have joy. He said it this way in John 14, 27. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but my peace I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you know what his joy is? Do you know what his joy is? His joy is a peace that defies circumstances. It's a peace that refuses to be bound by circumstances. It's a peace that can look at 9-11 and say, I never understand, but somehow I find the peace of God in that. It's your 9-11 when the doctor reports, when, when your children rebel, when your marriage fails, that says somehow in that, I have a peace that will not be bound by circumstances. I've given you this so that my joy will be in you and you'll be complete. And then he goes, great. What is this command? Now remember, hours before his death. These, these are the most important things to Jesus Christ before he dies. He goes, all right, here's my command. And they're, ready, they're taking notes. Okay, Jesus, what is it? Visitation on Tuesday nights, 12% tithe. What is it, Jesus? You just tell us, church three times a week. Give it to us, Jesus. This is my command. Love one another. Love one another. Can you grasp that? Hours before the cross, and the one thing on the mind of your Savior and my Savior is love one another. I don't know all the reasons why, but let me give you three. First off, this. God is love. That's a good place for an amen. God is love. 
We are Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, if your feet are on the pathway to heaven instead of hell, because of that, you are a product of God's love today. And God is holy and God is just. All those things. But at the top of the pile, I believe God is love. And if our Father is love, then we've got to love. It's in our DNA. It's part of who we are. I think he said we should love one another because our world would be better if we did. Imagine what your world would look like, what your marriage would look like, what your children would look like, what your workplace would look like if you simply practiced this love one another. You know the jerk you can't stand? What if you loved him? The person you're in conflict with? What if you loved him? The neighbor who just constantly is like fingernails going down a chalkboard? Hey kids, the, the kid, the kid at school that thinks he's so much better because he's captain of this or chairman of that. What would happen? How would it impact your world if you loved? Love one another. It's who we are. It's, it's, it will make our world better. But you know the best part? The most important part? Because this love is something the world really wrestles with duplicating. And the Bible says that just Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the most important thing on God's brain is not who's in the lifeboat, it's the one still drowning. And if he's going to say, okay, how am I going to get the lost world's attention? Oh, I know. We'll fill a building full of people, you know, who go to church on Sunday and they're going to drive people, lost people are going to drive by and go, wow, look at that. I know it is. We'll have people get lots of money and we can report to the world how much money we give. And the lost people go, how about that? No. No. You know what Jesus so much smarter than us knew? The one thing that's getting the world's attention is when people who are different, people who are different generations, people who come from different backgrounds, different likes, dislikes, uh, people, some people easy, some people hard, love one another. That gets the world's attention. Come on, y'all. That's what gets... See, we didn't use enough drink. Not drinking is a whole lot. Kick if you don't like beer. You know, not drinking is not... Now that, that's easy one. Love one another. You know why we resist that? It's not because we think it's insignificant. But it's like a prick in our side. All of a sudden we go, ooh. It's like something we wrestle with. Because every one of us has somebody we're struggling with loving. And for every person there's out there who you're struggling to love, there's someone watching to see how you love that person. And their eternal soul might well be resting on your response on how you love that person. Hmm. Wayne, how should we love? Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love? How did Jesus love? Well, Dwayne, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. How perfect were you when Jesus died for you? How loving were you when Jesus died for you? 
And the incredible part I keep sharing is that it's so cool because this love is part of who we are. When we receive Jesus, we get this love. I said in the wedding a couple weeks ago, all we got to do is open up a faucet and let it flow through us. A God-made love, God's love is a choice that we make. A choice we make. You don't see this love very much. I'm not sure you see true agape God love at all. But we see it sometimes at ground zero. Here's what the Bible says. No one has greater love than this. That someone will lay down his life for his friends. No one has greater love than this. That a man will lay his life down for his friends. Perhaps you've seen this picture. The man being carried out is the chaplain of the New York City Fire Department. He ran in when others ran out. He was the first recovered victim from the 9-11 ground We see it in the faces of these men. We see it in the sacrifice of this chapel. We see it at the funerals. Was it West Frankfurt? A young man lost his life fighting a fire, and firefighters from everywhere flocked and showed their respect for this one who had fallen in the line of duty. Greater love have no man. Lay down his life. I'm telling them. I'm telling them. After what he did here, and what he did here, we need to do this. And we can do this. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it is a choice. And it's hard. And it's risky. And it's costly. But our country needs for us to show this love. Because this is the love, this is the thing that will bring revival to our country. Believers, Christians, loving one another and loving others as Christ loved. Every person in the firehouse had responsibility. It's almost like a subculture. And within that subculture, there was love, commitment, and devotion. And it didn't matter if you were black or white. It didn't matter if you lived in the poorest part of Bronx or had the nicest penthouse. It just didn't matter. All those things were laid aside for the brotherhood, for the friendship, for the relationship. Of the firehouse. Jesus described it this way in Firehouse Camaraderie. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I don't call you slaves anymore. And I love this. May I just pause a moment? Perhaps your translation says the word servant. Sometimes people think, why do you like the Holy Christian standard? And one reason I do is because it tries to be so accurate. It had a footnote in my Bible. That said, the reason we chose the word slave 
was not to be insensitive to those who might be sensitive to slavery. Because literally, that's what the word means. It's not servant, it's slave. So Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore. Because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. It's like the, the chief of the firehouse and the newest rookie has this relationship. And the rookie understands who the chief is, but still there's a brotherhood. It's just like us in Christ. Here is Christ our king. He is victorious. He is risen. He has the crown. He's king. And here we are. His children. His followers. His bride. And instead of being distant and away, He invites us to gather around his throne room and gather his feet, making clear the distinction that he's the king and we're his followers. And then he shares his most intimate thoughts with us. You know why? Because we're his friends. Come on. We're his friends. Not only friends, we're his plan A. We are the ones to go tell his story to Harrisburg. We are the ones to tell his story 500 feet underground in the coal mine. Or as opportunity arises on the playground. Or across the street in your neighborhood. You're not a slave, he says. I call you friends. And that leads us to our last point. Firehouse chain of command. My Air Force jeans like this. I love this. You, now listen carefully. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Nine words. Nine words that are so incredibly deep, this pastor can't get his arms around them. I did not choose, or you did not choose me. I chose you. Somehow you've got with that, you've got to marry John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes with John 6.44, when Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. You know, someone once said, if you try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. And deny the Trinity, and you'll lose your soul. I don't know about God's election. I know He said, Whosoever will, and I know He draws people. And I know He loves everybody and wants them to come to a saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. You didn't choose Him. It wasn't like one day you're on the playground playing kickball and, and you're choosing the team and, and you chose you chose a career and that was going to be on your team and you chose what school to attend and that was on your team and you chose your wife and, and that was on your team and then you had to choose a God so you chose this God. It's not like that at all. You see, He chose you. That's incredible. He chose does anyone here wrestle with significance? Was anyone here the last kid chosen? 
you know, 25 pounds overweight, they want to use you for the kickball. Were you ever the one that no one wanted? Did you ever hear your mom say you weren't planned, you were an accident? I've got great news for you. Jesus Christ wants to choose you today. Chosen of God. How significant is that? I don't care what the world says about you. I don't care what your teacher says. I don't care what your husband says. I don't care what your wife says. You are so incredible value that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. And he chose you. And he doesn't care if you're black or white or yellow or light brown. He doesn't care what neighborhood you live in or the brand of car you drive or the clothes that you wear. He chose you. He didn't just choose you. He's got a purpose. Look, I chose you that you should go out and produce fruit. I want you to work for me. I trust you, in other words. I need workers, and I choose you, and 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 you. But I've never done this before. I choose you. I trust you. And then I tell you what, I'm going to give you a power source you can't believe because I'm going to give you my Father. You can ask in His name and He'll give you what you need to accomplish the mission. But there's one thing you can't forget. Of all the things I've told you, He would say. Remember this. Love one another. We get all riled up about some things. I think it's time the church gets riled up about loving one another. Love one another. It will change your world. You'll never be more like God than when you love one another. This world will take notice. It grieves my heart that the organizers of the 9 11 Memorial said no clergy, no evangelical, no evangelical clergy. Someone by the evangelical. It grieves my heart. It grieves my heart that ten years later, that we're further down the road away from God than closer to God. But just like Jesus said, He said, I'm going to give you the secret to abiding in my love, and that's to keep my, to guard, to value my commands. Your pastor will tell you one more time how we can turn this country around, how God can turn this country around. And it's love one another. Love. Isn't that simple? Isn't that simple? Isn't that what we talk about all the time? It's so simple. Jesus died for you. Believe He was the Son of God. Place your faith in Him. Commit to live for Him. It's so simple. And it's so simple, church. God's to-do list remains short. Maybe we should add, love one another. Would you bow your head right there where you are? Sometimes people say, do I wish you'd preach a little deeper? Son, that's so deep you can't begin to grasp it. I can't begin to grasp it, I preached it. Love one another. My first question is this this morning. 
What is your life anchored to? What is your life anchored to? In the midst of the rubble of ground zero, buried beneath tons and tons and tons and tons of debris, was millions of dollars worth of gold, millions of dollars worth of precious metals, millions of dollars worth of money, and it meant nothing in the scope of ground zero. But from out of the rubble, came two pieces of metal that all of the world symbolizes hope. And today if you're here and you've anchored your soul to gold or silver or titles or prestige or pleasure, you probably live long enough to know that the storms of life blow those anchors pretty readily wherever it wants to go. I'm telling you about an anchor today that will not move. And it's the anchor of the cross. It's the anchor of God's love for you. I'm not talking about being a badass. I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm not talking about quitting some habits or starting some habits. I'm talking about a personal relationship with the living Son of God. And if that sounds mystical to you, it is. And it's wondrous. And it's real. My brother Brent will be standing out front in just a moment. If you've heard enough today about Jesus and the cross and the anchor in life, and something's calling you, God is drawing you, saying this is what you need. Since God's drawing, won't you, the opportunity comes when we stand to our feet, come down and take Brent by the hand and say, I want to know this Jesus Christ. I want to know this hope. I want to anchor my soul to that anchor. And we'll show you what God's word. Remember the command part? If you keep my commands, you'll remain my love. We'll show you that part. What God says about relationship. My second question is this. It's a question I asked a couple of weeks ago and still valid today. Who do you need to love? Who do you need to love? I didn't say like. We laughed about that in the office this morning. But who do you need to love? Who in your realm of life, or how many people in the realm of your life, you just have to be honest and say, no, I don't love that person. Now, God will help you love. But it remains your choice to love. Just remember, when, you're, when you want to push back and say they're not worthy, I just want to take you back to Calvary. I can't say I was worthy of Calvary. And I don't think you can either. And when that person's got all these warts all over them, just remember how warty you were when Jesus found you. When Jesus chose you. Who?